You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's just after six and time for Communication Mixdown here on 3CR. I'm Judith Peppard, and today we're looking at how a determined community succeeded in stopping energy giant AGL from installing a floating storage regasification unit, or FSRU, at Crib Point in western Port Bay on the Mornington Peninsula, and a pipeline from Crib Point to Pakenham, proposed by Australian energy infrastructure business, APA. It's May the 1st, and the community has gathered on Balnaring Common to celebrate the news that the project will not go ahead. I went along and asked a few people why they'd come out. Because Western Port is frickin' amazing, and we know how important it is for communities to get together and stand up to corporate interests. I'm here to celebrate a victory of ordinary people over a gas giant. I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula, I'm a grandmother, and we're here today because we've been part of the fight. So many people have been. The celebration officially began with Boonarong elder Auntie Diane Summers welcoming us to country. It had a lot of support, the group Save Western Port and others, and the Boonarong Land Council. I was lucky enough the day of opening of the submissions where myself and another Bunurong elder, Uncle Mick Edwards, did the opening speeches. We at Bunurong spoke for three days on our history, our culture, our past, our fears for the future, if this went ahead. And we were only one small group, but it was all of the groups together that was very, very powerful. Out of that, the Bunurong Land Council and groups like Save Western Port, we made a lot of friends and I think we were two strong groups and I think people listened to us. Thank you. Boonarong elder, Auntie Diane Summers. And while the day was a celebration, that the AGL and pipeline projects would not proceed, that might have turned out very differently. Candy Van Root is the president of the Save Western Port campaign. I asked if she could remember where she was when she heard the news on October 17, 2017, that a floating storage regasification unit would be located at Crib Point in Western Port Bay. It was very early in the morning. My phone lit up with a text from a girlfriend saying, have you seen the front page of the ABC News this morning? You better go and have a look. So I immediately went to the website. It had a big picture of what an FSRU would look like, with the government right behind it rolling out a red carpet for it. 
we'd only just moved here and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know who to ring. So I rang AGL and they said, oh, yes, we've got community sessions where the community can find out the information. And they were really talking about it as if it was a fait accompli at that time. What did you do next? The community meeting was in Crib Point Community House a little tiny old school, (laughs) in a back room the following week. So I went to that. There was maybe about 12 or so other people, and they were all saying, oh, yes, this is going to be great. This is going to bring us jobs. And I was saying, but what about all this chlorine in the water? You know, 24 hours of pumping chlorine into the water, because in the meantime, I'd done quite a lot of research. And they said, no, no, this is going to be just what we need. There's going to be a gas shortage, and this will fill the block. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I did try and ring the council, but they didn't really seem to know much about it. So I started the page on Facebook, no AGL gas for Crib Point. How long between when you got the news and you set up the Facebook page? It was about 10 days. I started putting in, you know, environmental, Crib Point, gas, all those sorts of hashtags. And I just kept posting every day. Everything I read, I would just share to that page. And gradually the information sessions that AGL were doing started to fill up. And while many people found out about the project via Facebook, Belinda Lewis heard about it from a friend. We'd been travelling and arrived home and a very close friend came to the front door with a grievous look on his face and said, it's great to see you back, but we've got a huge fight on our hands. When we saw that it was AGL, we were well aware they had tens, hundreds of millions of dollars to force their way through. And we were just a small local community. It was terrifying. And by April 2018, the Save Western Port Committee had been established. Here's Candy Van Root again. Just a few weeks after we'd first met, we managed to organise a public meeting. There were about 100 people there and we got experts in to talk about the implications of having an FSIU in the Bay. A new wave of people then joined the Facebook page and more and more momentum started to gather. And by July, we had a public rally in Hastings, which was extraordinary. And that's when Environment Victoria came on board with us. That was one of the really big highlights because they came with all their knowledge and experience and skills and talent and supported us fully. And at that rally was Jane Carnegie, now Vice President of Safe Western Port. We heard what people had to say about the project and got extremely alarmed and realised that we had to do more than just attend a rally. It was in around August that individuals in the community, such as myself, plus Safe Western Port and other groups were pushing Minister Wynne to have an EES or environmental effects statement for this project. If we hadn't done that and if the Minister had not then in September 2018 agreed to hold an EES, then this project probably would have just been waved through and we would have the FSIU sitting out there at Crip Point today. Getting that agreement was a vital component in the campaign and it really put AGL on notice that this wasn't something that this government was going to allow to sail through. This was the first that I and so many people in the community even got to understand what an EES or environmental effects statement actually is and the significance of it prolonging the process and ensuring that there was a really detailed and validated evaluation of all the potential environmental and socioeconomic effects that this project could have on the Western Port community. Jane Carnegie, current Vice President of Safe Western Port. Chris Atmore, an environmental lawyer, lives in the area. She told me about some of the problems with the environmental effects statement process. 
the Environment Effects Act, the legislation in Victoria that regulates this whole process, it's incredibly vague. There's a lot of stuff that isn't there that should be there. And the minister has an enormous amount of discretion. I was really surprised that an EES statement wasn't necessarily required for a project of that size. The fact that it's not required automatically is just one indication of what a poor process we have. A sign, I think, of the lack of environmental democracy in Australia. Not only do we have very poor laws that protect the environment, but these kinds of impact assessment processes, if the community does want to go through that process and impose the project, it's a real David and Goliath situation. On October the 8th, 2018, the Victorian Minister for Planning announced that an environmental effects statement would be required. Before work began, however, the scope of the environmental effects statement needed to be established and the minister released a draft scoping document for comment. Here's Jane Carnegie again. We had around a month to provide feedback on those draft scoping requirements. Save Western Port certainly did that as a group. I put in my own submission about what I thought were the flaws. The final scoping requirements were released in February 2019, and it took AGL and APA about 18 months to prepare the statement. Meanwhile, opposition to the project continued to grow. The news, Mornington Peninsula, February 12, 2019. Organisers of the 50th Western Port Festival at Hastings say they've knocked back potential sponsorship from AGL, despite being short of money. A unanimous vote was passed to not accept any AGL money, citing community concerns over the power provider's plans to more a floating gas import and processing terminal at Crib Point. One of the really big high moments for us was May Day, May the 1st, 2019. All the candidates for the federal election came into Balnaring Hall, we filled it up, and they all signed a petition against AGL. We had every single political candidate saying they opposed this project. But we even had the Clive Palmer party. Like, that's never happened before. But there were tough times ahead. Coming up, we'll hear what the community had to do to engage with the next stages of the environmental effects statement process. You're on 3CR, and it's Radiothon Month. Community Power Radio, Community Power Donate to 3CR's Radiothon. Call now, 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. And do think about supporting 3CR during this year's Radiothon. You can contribute by calling the station during business hours on 94198377 or going to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Tonight on Communication Mixdown, we're digging into the Save Western Port campaign to look at what it took to stop energy giant AGL from installing a floating storage regasification unit, or FSRU, at Crib Point in Western Port Bay on the Mornington Peninsula. Just before the announcement, we heard that an environmental effects statement for the project was being prepared by AGL and APA, the group planning the pipeline from Crib Point to Pakenham. 
That statement was exhibited for public comment on July the 2nd, 2020. That's almost a year ago now. And the community had 40 business days to write their submissions. I asked Candy Van Rood, president of Safe Western Port, how COVID-19 restrictions affected the work of the campaign. One of the difficulties was that we couldn't meet. During the EES itself, we only had a very short period of time for us to read through all those pages, technical language, so we had to hire experts to read it for us and put in submissions. We've got an environmental lawyer on our committee, and she was just absolutely exhausted. She was going 24 hours a day just about, just fielding all the questions and calls and people wanting advice about how to write certain things. And she really led us through that EES process. It was incredible. And that environmental lawyer was Chris Atmore. Walking a fine line in terms of everything that was happening with COVID. And then on top of that, having to try and address this profoundly damaging project and work like mad things to engage with the process at a time when we were already pretty thin on resources. It it was a hard slog. It was very difficult to remain positive at times because we were stretched so thinly. The environment effects statement was a multi-volume, 11,000-page document. You had to get your head around that before you could even make a legal submission. We had already been doing some work against the project with Environment Victoria and the Victorian National Parks Association. We decided that perhaps the best way to approach it was for the three organisations to be joint legal clients and then get a legal service to actually represent us. The three clients were Save Western Port, Environment Victoria and Victorian National Parks Association. Environmental Justice Australia, which is a legal practice allocated to lawyers to act on our behalf in the hearing. We couldn't hold a public protest the entire time of the EES because of COVID, but there were other very creative ways that people showed their opposition. There's one guy who's become a local legend He made his own signs against AGL and would just put them up everywhere along the roadside. They would regularly be removed and then he would just put more up. I have memories of driving around the peninsula and starting to see these signs going up saying no AGL. We were a bit confused because we were working in and out of Australia at the time. So we'd come home for a couple of weeks and see more signs up and we're like, what have AGL done to upset everyone around here? It was amazing how that informed us and informed so many people in the community that this was going on and never let us forget that it was still happening. It's a really old school method, but it worked such a treat. Sasha Guggenheimer, business person and marine scientist. She studied at Monash and Deakin Universities here in Melbourne and was part of the team at the Centre for Marine Science and Technology at Curtin University. She has special interest in marine mammal acoustics. Sasha wrote an individual submission and spoke at the hearings on the environmental effects statement held from October 12th to December 17th, 2020. I just felt really blessed that I had had this experience working with the Centre for Marine Science and Technology because I became aware of what it takes to measure ambient noise and the sound profiles of a marine scape. It would just be a really easy one for AGL to tick off to provide the environmental effects for their planning in Western Port. But there was absolutely nothing done of it. 
it was quite off-putting because I just asked for the physical copies of the marine aspects. I thought, well, I can contribute to the marine side. And it was four giant binders of research. It wasn't in any sort of logical sequence. There would be part of one experiment in volume one and part of it in volume three. And it was just a, a mess to really get your head around. I was also really happy that COVID was here because I run a skincare company now and I had the time to read through these four volumes. It really was below par. For example, if you're going to make an assessment of how sound travels underwater, then we really need to know what the ambient noise of the site is. That just requires putting a noise logger in, securing it to the seafloor for a year minimum would be great so you get all the seasons um, a couple of years would be better you know just to get an idea of how noisy it is and what's the damage already from the marina they just made an assumption that the marina is already causing impacts but without any measurement and then we also need to know what the benthic substrate is what's the seafloor made out of because that alters the way that sound travels and we need to do some depth profiling to work out how deep is the water because that alters the way that sound travels underwater. But most importantly, we need to know how loud is the FSRU operation that they were proposing and what's the frequency of the sound that's being generated. None of these measurements had been taken. They had assumed and taken values of the frequency and the sound pressure of other ships in other areas that were very different sizes as well. And they just used those figures in to do a little bit of modeling. So it looks like they've touched on the subject, but they hadn't done any modeling about that site specifically. And if they don't do that, we don't know how that sound is going to travel in that site specifically. It's just really basic industry measurements as well and not expensive. But I guess it's a corner that they felt they might be able to cut because how many people in the community have experience in marine sound profiling? And with the EES process, it's really all left up to the community and who can contribute to writing in or whether we can raise funds as the Save Western Port campaign did so well to bring in experts. So the onus is left on us to refute this sort of research. And the community did have to raise funds to engage the experts they needed to challenge some of the information or lack of information in the environmental effects statement provided by AGL and APA. Here's Julia Stockett. Secretary of Safe Western Port. The commitment for each environmental or uh, technical expert witness was between eight and $12,000. So we would have had a witness on several more areas if we could have afforded it, but we really had to decide what would be our greatest areas of impact and also who we could source in the very limited time available. We determined that environmental and social impacts would be Uh, main points, the information that AGL provided was very limited. So they were the areas that we decided to focus on. Our local councillor, David Gill, who has opposed the project, reported that the council had to commit over $200,000 to their work to oppose AGL. They had a great barrister and 
expert witnesses, very critical of AGL's reports about the impacts of chlorine toxicity, the potential for chlorine to bioaccumulate in the food chain. Julia Stockett, Secretary of Save West Report. I wondered what Sasha Guggenheimer thought about the chlorine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, oh, it's just crazy to think that anyone would try and defend the amount of chlorine that's planned to go into Western Port. What they said is that it's okay, the chlorine will break down into chloride eventually. And after a few days, there's not going to be an accumulation of chlorine in the system. But that's looking at it from a static point of view that the chlorine is expelled and then no chlorine is expelled after that. But not that it's like a reoccurring process every single day. And the tidal movements, which are huge in Western Port, weren't factored in to what that's going to do to the environment. Marine scientist and local business person. Sasha Guggenheimer. Like Sasha, Belinda Lewis also put in an individual submission, drawing on her background as an anthropologist. She was concerned about the social impact. The complete oversight on the part of the proponent, AGL, to understand the community at all. And that ranged from Indigenous cultural heritage through to the relationship that community members have with the natural environment over multiple generations now. And we wanted to document the actual actions that AGL had taken, which during the four-year process had already created substantial community division, for example, offering large sums of money to disadvantaged groups, dangling a carrot in front of groups and organisations that were struggling for money. That's one example. But there are many, many others. But despite these concerns and more than 6,000 community submissions that argued against the project, social impact did not carry a lot of weight in the final decision. Here's Chris Atmore. They consider the impacts on the plants and animals, but they also consider community impacts. How are people going to feel about this project? How is their recreational opportunity going to be affected? How is their driving to work every day going to be affected? You know, traffic considerations, all those sorts of things. So what was really disappointing about Minister Wynne's assessment was social impact got very short shrift. So both the committee and the minister, despite all the evidence, we had a social impact expert, you know, a lot of other evidence about how strongly people feel about this place, the impact on their mental health, knowing that if this project went ahead, not only are you keeping on with fossil fuels and pollution and and all those issues, but of course the threat to the Ramsar site. And basically the minister and the committee both concluded that that could be managed, that it wasn't really that big a deal, you know, that people people would get used to it. The construction was only going to last for sort of a year or two, so, you know, people would get over that. We were very lucky that the area that we care about is subject to an international convention because in the end that appears to be what helped to sway Richard Wynne's assessment. He was worried about the chlorine, but his worry was kind of exacerbated by his knowledge that this is a Ramsar wetland. Chris Atmore. I asked Jane Carnegie, Vice President of Safe Western Port, if she knew what she was getting into when she joined the campaign. No, the answer is absolutely no. And every single person, I think, in this state or in other states that's had to be part of one of these processes really has 
absolutely no idea. I mean, if I go back to when I talked how, how excited we all were when the EES was announced, then we had no idea. It didn't dawn on us what was actually involved. It was really as we, we stepped through the process that it became clearer and clearer how difficult this was going to be, how essentially the process is stacked against the community. It rests on the premise that the community doesn't understand the process and doesn't recognise that just saying as a community or as individuals in the community, we don't support this project. That is never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. Your submissions alone are not going to sway. You really have to have expert evidence. You have to have legal representation. And, of course, there are massive costs to all of this, to any community which is operating off donations. It's a funny process, the whole ES, because in theory it's all about the law, but in practice a lot of it is about politics. So you're always playing both games when you take against a project and you go through that process. You've got one eye on the sort of political picture and the sort of policy implications and you've got one eye on what you can actually do through the legal framework. On the face of it, it it's a decision made within a legal framework, but of course it's a decision that's also subject to a whole lot of other factors. I wondered what Candy Van Root, president of Safe Western Port, had learned during the campaign. Never give up. You know, they do a lot of posturing. They press releases or communications which sound like they're far way ahead of where they actually are. They talk all the time as if it's going to happen, whatever we do. You have to be very strong to not buy that. You have to actually sort of wear like a Teflon suit to stop yourself from getting eroded away by all their marketing lines and all their nonsense that they constantly communicate out, as if they've got the entitlement and the right to just override the community. The other thing I learned very much is that the thing about a community is you have to keep people together on the same page. What advice would you give to people who are just starting out? Communicate, communicate, communicate. All I knew, because I'm a visual artist, was the beauty of this place. And so I just started taking photographs of the beauty that I saw, educating them. Where is this place? How far away is it from where you live? So it started off as a sort of not-in-my-backyard campaign, but then what you do is you link it to how important it is on a global level. How can you possibly trade that off for some great corporate that comes in for the profits of a few when a whole community thrives and is held by the beauty of a natural place like this? I guess we could also think about industries that exist down here likely to be seriously damaged by something like this. So whose work is being valued here? Whose jobs? Absolutely correct. And when we broadcast the information to the fishermen, you know, and it is a recreational fishing area now, all the ecotourism, people who surf, when we showed them how it would affect them, That's when you really ignite a spark. And what we've shown, I think, is that when you've got a passionate community who love a place and whose whole lives revolve around it, whether it's for recreation or for, for their work, then you get a very powerful, unstoppable force. It's about making them accountable. I see the EES process as a microcosm of, of what rights we have to defend the environment in this country. 
everything that sort of went on in that process is writ large in Australia in terms of how much power the average person actually gets to have in the face of corporate interests. And if we can reform the EES process to make it genuinely democratic, I suspect Australia, you know, the whole legal framework for protecting the environment will look very, very different. But it's not going to happen without a big push from the ordinary person. People used to say to me, oh, you'll never win that. You know, it's David and Goliath. And I said, but who won? You know, David won. And he won using God, if you like, but I call it love. You know, and I say, love won. <laughs> yeah. Love will change the colours that you see. Turn around the darkest part of you and me. Bury it when trouble comes around. Celebrations were coming to an end as I left Balnearing Common, but the music was still going. I ran into a woman at the gate and asked my usual question. What brings you out today? Today is a celebration that the power of the people were able to stop the gas giant AGL from putting this filthy floating gas restorification unit in Western Port Bay and damn this community worked hard. And that's it for Communication Mixed Down this week. And I want to thank all the people who contributed to the show today. At the beginning, we heard Bunurong Elder, Auntie Diane Summers, speaking at the Safe Western Port Community Celebration. The following people made time for interviews. Candy Van Rood, Jane Carnegie, Chris Atmore, Sasha Guggenheimer, Belinda Lewis, and Julia Stockard. Thanks also to Shannon Hurley from the Victorian National Parks Association for the information she provided about the campaign, and Ella Toombs from 3CR for reading the news from the Mornington Peninsula. And at the end of the show, we heard the Marty Williams Experiment performing at the Safe Western Port Community Celebration on May 1st, 2021. I'm Judith Peppard. And it's been great to have you with us this afternoon on Communication Mixdown. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.